Hello and welcome to Five Alive. It's so wonderful to have you joining us once again today. We are going to continue talking about our Old Testament forefathers. And as we concluded last week with Father Abraham, today we are going to talk about his son. Yes, the one that was offered up on Mount Moriah as a sacrifice of which God provided an escape. He provided redemption and he provided salvation in that moment in the ram that was caught in the thicket, but that was provided for Isaac, which is a foreshadowing of exactly what Christ does for you and I when he died on the cross over 2,000 years ago and how we can live redemptive and brilliant lives today. Today, we're going to talk about Isaac and just a brief bit about Isaac there is actually not a whole lot of information we have on Isaac, yet we are going to discuss what we can figure out from those small passages of Scripture that mention him. And in fact, we do get to know even Rebecca equally, if not a little bit more, Isaac's wife than he. And as a part of what we were talking about last week, where we have this division that now happens in the Abrahamic religions, you'll hear scholars, you'll hear people talk about there are three Abrahamic religions that are out there. That is Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. But it is in this moment when we start talking about Isaac that we see a massive division between Christianity, Judaism, and the Islamic religion. This change came in Islamic religion because they say that they started following Ishmael, the other son of Abraham. But Christians and Jews know that Isaac was the chosen one of God. Now, just for historicity's sake, the history of when Isaac was born was approximately four to 5,000 years ago. And when Muhammad wrote the Quran in 610 to 632 AD, he was trying to change history that had been told for centuries upon centuries upon centuries. So that diversion, we've got to keep in mind that when he's rewriting history is to write about Ishmael, who he says is the chosen one of God. However, in the Abrahamic religions of Christianity and Judaism, we know, as has been purported for thousands of generations, that it is Isaac that is the one that is the true blessed one, the one blessed of God, and the one that is to continue to be the roadmap for all of the world's salvation. It is also important to keep in mind that the story of Christ is radically different than that of Islam. And we have a Redeemer. We have a God who walks with us, who talks with us, who is alive, who is right here with us. And in Islamic religion, we do not see that to be the case. So those are a little bit of differences that are between the Abrahamic religions. And so now as we start to follow the history of Isaac and his family, his wife, and his children, we are going to see that the one chosen of God to carry out his promise has a few things that we can learn from. And I'm just going to name them off, and then we're going to go through a few passages of Scripture. And so number one and most important of what we have to kick off the story of Isaac's life is that he really, really, really loved his mom. He absolutely 
loved his mom. And when she died, he was about 40 years old and he took it very, very hard. He took, he took it so hard that his dad started trying to find ways to help cheer Isaac up. And one of the greatest ways that he could think of to find somebody that would be a helpmate for him, because as Adam and Eve in the garden, when Adam was alone and he was naming the animals, God said there was no perfect partner found for him. So therefore he created Eve the same way Abraham sees his son. His mother is no longer with him. And so he says, let's go find Isaac, a wife. And so that's what we're going to talk about. And that passage of scripture is found in Genesis chapter 24, verses 1 through, uh, well, really it's the whole 24th chapter, which is a very long chapter, 67 verses. We're going to cut that up and we're going to read 24, 1 through 26, and then 24, 60 through 67. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine, only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. But the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Malchah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels, and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, 
I am the daughter of Bethul, the son of Malka, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder, and room to spend the night. Fodder. Yes, mm -hmm. fodder. Fodder. For the fire. She had added, We have plenty of straw and fodder, and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord. Wonderful. Aren't you glad that today when we sign contracts and we shake hands and we don't put our hands under other people's thighs, just saying, that's kind of a funny way to make a contract with somebody, but that was the way that they did things back in the olden days. And another thing that I want to really bring out to us here in this moment is, is that when the servant is saying to Rebecca that he has chosen her to be the bride, he has set up this meeting, this chance meeting that he has prayed and God has then blessed by answering the prayer of Abraham's servant. And as the arranged marriage is beginning to take place, notice the gifts that the servant provides for Rebecca are not a Western sense of the way we look at things. Because so often here in India specifically, we think of life as Christian is a foreign religion that is from the outside. It is a Western religion because that's where it really did spring up and take off. And the, and the love of Christ really did grip the Western part of the world. However, we can see in this moment a nose ring, and the earrings and the bracelets show us the traditions that are so prevalent in this Asiatic region of which we live, yes, even here in India, that there are many things that pertain and make a whole lot more sense, actually, as we read them in Scripture, than what Western society has come to know. Because now, if you see a girl in Western society that has a nose ring, usually it's because she just wants to. Here, it's showing the actual significance of what a nose ring represents and signifies, and we still understand that to this day in India, of it is a claim of betrothal unto another person. And so you see that in this passage of scripture, and I just wanted to point that out so that that way we can have a great understanding of how Rebecca was found. And yes, this story gets retold a few times from here to verse 60. But in verse 60, we see Isaac meeting Rebekah for the first time, and that is where we're going to pick up this story. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. And then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Bir Lahe Roy, and was dwelling in the Nagab. Is it Nagab? Yes, just like in Punjabi, the B and the V are synonymous. Okay. Was dwelling in the Nagab. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there was camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So as I said, we see in this passage of scripture the love that Isaac has for his wife, but in the same moment, 
she comes up upon Isaac as they're returning from the land of Nahor, and she sees him out in the field and he's meditating. This also reveals to us his closeness with the Lord God and how much he has a love for, Je for Jesus, the future of what is going to come, the future builder of the city that he is to inherit, a promise that he is given as he heard from his father Abraham so many times. He is getting ready to hear that same promise, that same covenant given to him. But I don't want to go too far ahead. I want to talk about Rebecca for a few moments, and I want us to see how amazingly obedient Rebecca is unto the call of God and the prayer of a servant, and why exactly this is told to us shows us the importance that God places on the equality between both men and women, and we've got to understand that in faith, in Christ, women are also very important and the male figure is also vitally important and together that is where we see the microcosm of what heaven really is is that both sexes are united in one so what we learn here about rebecca is we definitely see that she is important to Isaac almost immediately, but we see her faithfulness just in answering prayer of the servant. We see her importance in actually following out what the prayer was 100%, which is really an incredible part of the story because so often we pray and we ask God to assist us in things and he gives us an answer. And what we do is we still take things into our own hands and do it our own way. Whereas the servant did sit back to an extent other than running up to Rebecca and saying, hey, give me a drink, which he said he was going to do. And then she does fulfill his prayer to the letter of what his prayer was, even in the moment where he hadn't even finished his prayer, and yet she still surpassed it beyond what he had prayed for. So that shows us the heart of God through Rebecca and shows us her heart for God right back. Then we also see that Isaac loves his wife. And so this is one of the first takeaways I want to talk about of Isaac's life is that Isaac helps teach us to love our spouse, love my spouse Isaac and Rebecca, they cling to each other. They work through problems. They fight for each other. They don't let their eyes wander or what ifs distract them. What if I really did this instead? Or what if I went to this school instead? Or what if I married this person instead? They don't allow the what ifs to distract them from the covenant that they made on their wedding day. And God is the one that unites their marriage even before they make the proverbial I do's or they tie the knot or they all of the things that happen jump jump over the broomstick or walk around the fire or walk around a holy book or whatever it was that they would have done in order to incorporate their marriage. God was already present in those moments. And so that's what I want to ask, uh, I want us to ask ourselves is, if I am married, am I clinging to my spouse? Am I working through problems with my spouse? Am I fighting for my spouse in those moments where I feel like we're just growing apart? Am I willing to say, I'm not going to allow myself to grow apart from my spouse, but I'm going to fight for them? 
Am I going to stop my eyes from wandering? Am I going to take up different habits if I have started a habit that has created my eyes to wander? Am I reading books or novels or novelettes that lead me to have fantasies about somebody different than my spouse? Because if those things are happening, then I need to put them to the side and I need to not allow my eyes to wander or the what ifs to distract me from the covenant I made on my wedding day. And I must continue to recognize the love that I have for my spouse that was created even before the I do's. We had the privilege of sitting down with a friend of ours that has recently been married and we talked about how they met and they had an arranged marriage and yet they still talked about how they came to love each other before the actual wedding day happened. Even in the midst of an arranged marriage, this can happen. And so I think it's very important for us to take these things away, the love for my spouse. Now, if I'm not married, these are things that I look forward to and I start setting precedent in my heart. If I am single, I don't start just fantasizing about every person of the opposite sex that I'm going to marry one day and go, well, this is what I like about this person and this is what I like about, and then start trying to draw up a comparison that then one day I think I'm going to somehow have a perfect wife that fits the, the conglomeration of all these different fantasies that I've always had because you're setting yourself up for failure in those moments. And I think it's very important for us to recognize that the person we are going to futuristically marry is the person that God pre is preordaining for us. Am I saying that the God has only created one other perfect spouse for you on this planet? I'm not saying that. I'm saying we have got to be in situations where we are not comparing the future spouse that we are about to marry with somebody unrealistic or even a fantasy person that we've made up in our mind, because that's going to make it really hard to work through problems and fight for each other in the future. The next thing I want to address is if you are not yet married and you are potentially going to get married, then you have got to cling to your spouse. That means your parents take a different role than the role they've played so far in your life. They are no longer the provider for you and your every decision, but that is something that you work through with your spouse because you are clinging together. It's your decisions that you are making. And this was a beautiful thing that I feel like I saw represented in my friends this past week that I got to meet with was that I, I heard that in their conversation of, I remember how they talked before they got married and how it was important to take care of mom and dad, mom and dad, mom and dad, mom and dad. Now they're newly married and the conversation had changed to their future together. And that's exactly the way it's supposed to work. Blair and I do not live clinging to our parents. In fact, I think only one year of our marriage, we even lived near our parents. And that's not to say that we don't honor our mother and father, that we don't take care of them, that we don't provide for them as their children, and that we don't talk with them on an extremely regular basis because we do those things. But yet they're not my everything like they were when I was three years old. They are now my parents whom I'm honoring because I'm clinging to my wife and I'm raising 
my children. So these are things that we've got to recognize. Is there anything else that you want to throw in there as far as loving your spouse? Anything that you guys want to throw in there as far as looking forward one day to marrying somebody and what that looks like for you? And I know this is a 13 and 17 year old perspective, but you guys have great perspectives right now. There's not one perfect person for everybody in the world. Marriage is a thing you have to work for. But in looking for a future spouse, I believe, I, not I believe, but I want to have a marriage where I click with my wife, where it's we have an understanding, we get along, all this other stuff. We are able to communicate. And similar to Isaac, whenever he meets Re Rebecca for the first time, and he immediately gives himself to her because he knows this is the woman that he loves and this is the woman that he's going to live the rest of his life with. Mm -hmm. And so in that, I want to, whenever I do find the woman that I want to marry, I want to be able to give my life to her and that way we become one, mm -hmm. as it does say in scripture, is whenever, they get, whenever you get married, to become one. And so in that, I want to be able to give my everything to her and her to be able to reciprocate but in our reciprocal love, that we also love God first. Awesome. Blair, what do you have to add of the story of Rebecca and uh, Isaac that are lessons that we can learn and apply in our marriage? What do you see? Rebecca's act of obedience is what I see exemplified of she knew she was of the age of marriage and her hearing that Abraham's servant prayed there at the well and her hearing that was like well God are you are you in this and her act of obedience in her heart towards the Lord she wanted to be obedient in that moment to go okay this this man speaks the truth I, I don't there's nothing for me to say that he's not lying to me. I mean, a perfect stranger coming into the town. But yet she felt confirmed that, okay, this is, this is from the Lord. So it's nice that that confirmation can come like that because that's not always how it happens in life. It's not like, hey, you're to be with me and I'm to be with you and I give you my heart. And there's a lot of heartache through finding the right, the right guy. Because you have to entrust. And now we can do so many background checks <laughs> on people that it's, it can terrify us to not wanting to commit and remaining celibate, which is, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with being celibate at all. But it can be, we can allow ourselves to become so numb to not wanting to have a marriage because it's just going to doom and failure. Mm. So Rebecca's chance of taking the chance of, okay, the servant has heard from the Lord that I am to be the one that marries Isaac. I've never seen the man. I don't know the man. So not knowing, she was just acting, I mean, he could have been the most ugliest man in the whole entire world. She didn't know, but she said yes, no matter what, you know. 
even if he had any deformities, even if he was um, confined to the bed. Like, she didn't know any of that. So, to me, that's just an act, her, just her act of obedience is an awe factor. Definitely. For her young age. And we see also that, obviously, a man of God, a father of the faith of both Judaism and Christianity is a man who faced depression when his mom died. And so often we try and hide these things about our lives or we try and slough them off or we try and ignore the fact that this happens and or we try and find something to just replace it and get over ourselves. But we see that Isaac in a in a moment of Grieving. intense grief and depression is still going out into the field and meditating and is still open to God's will whenever Rebecca shows her face. And as all of a sudden there, well, she didn't show her face. She had her veil over her. When she shows her veiled face and her two little peeper eyes, and he's like, oh, okay. And he goes on with his life. And I think that's something in marriage that does occur. We are especially going to go through those moments where a, a, a parent or a sibling may die and it's going to grieve us, but that doesn't mean that our life ends in that moment, but that we continue to find solace in both Christ as well as in our spouse. So Abraham also is a continuer of holding on to the faith of God's promise, which was given to his father, Abraham, and he makes that his own faith in what God is going to do in his life. We see this represented in the New Testament where it specifically says that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. That's all I got. Yep, that's exactly right. And so we see Isaac is going to pass this on to his children, this faith. But what exactly is that? All that one sentence, that small sentence where it says that he is going to pass his faith and bless Isaac and Jacob concerning the things to come is referring to all the things that he spoke to Abraham. And we see this in Genesis chapter 26, verse 1 through 5. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and, you and bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So we see here that Abraham's uh, covenant 
is being passed on to Isaac. And notice the words are exactly the same. Your offspring will be as numerous as the stars of heaven and the nations will be blessed. All the nations of the earth will be blessed because of you. And what God is putting in there foreshadowing is the blessing that's going to come through Abraham, through Isaac, and through futurely Jesus when he dies on the cross. That's the blessing that's going to come upon all of the nations. And we see that right here in Genesis 26, 1 through 5. And we also see, uh, as we continue to read chapter 26 of Genesis, that Isaac is a very successful farmer. He's a very successful herdsman. He was so successful that he led his clan or his family, or in Punjabi we say his missile, and was a threat to others in the nearby lands and the Philistines themselves. And so they would get into scuffles, they would get into fights, and they would have problems. And yet, all throughout that, Isaac became a peaceful politician, if you will. When arguments came up about wells that he dug, he would actually just move on and go find another one. And when there was a fight or a squirmish over that, he would pick up and he would move on and he would go dig another well. And we see this happening over and over again. And so finally he comes to a place called Beersheba. And this is a well that happens to be a place that they dig and there isn't any strife. There isn't any fights. And so therefore this is where he decides to go ahead and set up his land, and he becomes even more prosperous in the moment that he starts doing that. So we see that in Genesis chapter 26, 23 through 25. And he went up from thence to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee. And will bless thee and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. And he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Exactly. And so here we see that God, he hears from God, he digs a well, and this becomes a place that they settle for a while. And we see that he continues to grow in success. Now, I want to, another takeaway. So takeaway number one was the love for my spouse from Isaac and Rebecca. And number two, I want to see the family faith and tradition when it's established in truth is something that we've got to hold on to as precious. So if you've been raised in biblical understanding and, uh, and knowing that God is one, he's not polytheistic, he is one, he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you've been raised in the truth, like God is the one that is preparing my future. God is to be trusted. God is to be talked with in prayer. He is to be hoped in. He is to be my redeemer through Christ Jesus, my Lord. These blessings that you may receive from your father, as hopefully I'm passing these on to Addison, Xavier, and Mallory, then those blessings will that I've been blessed with will prayerfully continue on in my children 
beyond me, and they can receive those. However, I also want to talk about the fact that there are some people that have been raised to not have an understanding of truth, and they've been raised according to cursings. And in those curses, they can be broken, and your life can start everything over anew when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and our lives will be changed to be a blessed life. Now notice, blessing does not mean there will never be worry, there will never be any struggles, there's never going to be another disappointment, and there's never going to be another problem. It doesn't even mean that there's not going to ever be another war. That's not what blessing, true blessing is. Having total financial freedom so that that way you never have to worry about paying a bill again in your life. That is not being blessed. What being blessed is, is being directly in the proper hands of God as we see Isaac is. Because I guarantee you it cost him something every time a fight broke out and he had to relocate to another place. And I guarantee you it was a struggle to go find water again. And I guarantee you they didn't want to do it all the time. And I guarantee you it cost them something financially to relocate. I guarantee you that it also was a very much of a headache to do all of that. And yet they did it and they were seen as blessed which we see in Genesis chapter 26 through 29. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Azuzeth, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me, and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you, and have done to you nothing but good, and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. We see Isaac is being told by other people how blessed he is, even though they've seen him in the midst of struggle, trial, problems, and fights. And they, they proclaim that Isaac is blessed of God so much. And this is exactly the way our lives can be if we will live as Isaac, if we will live peacefully. Now notice, Isaac is not naive. He's not even a pushover. Instead, he's what is the exact definition of a person who is meek. He is coming into moments where there's fights, where there's struggles, where there's issues between two disputing parties. And instead of just being dominant and saying, forget it, I'm going to overthrow everybody here because I am strong enough to do that. Instead of doing that, what he did was he would pick up and he would go somewhere else and dig a well, showing us that he knew God was going to provide for him again. And when he had to relocate again to another well, he knew God would provide for him again. And when he had to do it again, he knew God would provide for him again. This is something that we've got to get into our hearts and ingrained into our lives that just because things don't go our way right now in this very moment, the exact way that I knew it would when I was three years old and I just knew God was going to have me do this plan in my life and there was nothing that was going to stop me. And when we see things take a little bit of a diversion, we can't say the future is now uncertain and I no, no longer know that God really told me to do that. No, instead we see that that the future is certain 
in God and that the path that we are walking or the circumstance that we're going through right now may be at a standstill, may be at a pause, may even be at an objection so that that way we have to do things maybe a little bit differently in order to pursue exactly what God called us to do, but we still know that he's going to provide for us and that's how we live meek and peaceful lives. And that's what we can learn from Isaac. We can also see that he trusted so much in God that he was not afraid to do something that he had already done before all over again. We also see that others acknowledged how blessed he is that they desire a peace treaty with him. Not because they had some kind of a battle or some kind of a war or there was some kind of major hardship or there was the destruction of lives, but instead this was a preemptive peace treaty and it was desired because it shows us how mighty Isaac was. Isaac basically became a king in the land. And the people in the surrounding areas became so concerned that he could just immediately obliterate them into nothingness that they wanted to make sure that they had a preemptive peace treaty in order. That shows us, like I said, true meekness. He had the power to destroy everybody around him, even to the point where Abimelech comes to him and brings not only an advisor, but also the commander of his army in order to draw up a peace treaty that shows us how powerful Isaac and his clan really are. Isaac was more than just leading Jacob, Rebekah, and Esau. He was leading farmers, servants, and warriors. He was a massive force to be reckoned with, and yet he still operated peacefully in the land. Let's not forget Ishmael's also not too far away. In fact, the Bible will bring him back up again here in the next couple of verses. That's how Ishmael is still in the story. And yet Abraham's son, Isaac, in this Abrahamic clan, is creating a massive force, a people that will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, but also will be able to bless all of the lands. So let's ask ourselves a few questions. How do I treat my spouse? How do I treat my siblings, my step-siblings, or my half-siblings? Because again, Isaac has Ishmael right there near him, and he still operates peacefully. How can I be more peaceful? And am I willing to allow my faith to grow beyond my father's? and or my mother's? And am I allowing my faith in God to be mine? It's not based on somebody else's. It's not based on circumstances. But am I allowing my faith to grow? Mallory, will you close us in prayer? Thank you, Jesus, for today and for every single day, and that we will worship you and love you always. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. And then I just want to read one last passage of scripture. And that's Matthew chapter 22, verse 32. Jesus is speaking. And he says, I am the God of Abraham, 
and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. This is the importance of following after the truth. Bye, bye, bye.